You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. Um, Good work so far. Oh, thanks. Uh, this is an American history podcast. Each week, I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to uh, this guy. Yeah, this guy. My Not name great. is uh, Gareth Reynolds, and I got no idea what the topic's going to be about. What happened to this was a good uh, start or whatever? This was a good start, huh? You're you're not doing well right now. All right, let's yeah, right. do let's do one for real. We did. That's real. We're using this, and it, it's it's full of uh, animosity. We'll be right back after the. That's dollop. not a thing. That's not a thing that you just said. We don't do that. It's a podcast. President of the gonna... podcast, Gareth Reynolds, throwing it to the intro music. That's none of five, this. Five, is... four, three, two. And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo oh, guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait, is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like anarchy. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> Come on, the Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Uh, action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Rhoda. Rhoda in the court. Uh, 1866. Okay. The year of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Elizabeth McGee. Okay. Was born in Canton, Illinois. Okay. The Civil War just ended. Sure. Your favorite? Yeah. No, you know I'm passionate about that one. Her father, James McGee, uh, fought in the war. Okay. He was a newspaper publisher and abolitionist. Okay. So he was North. North, Northern. Her mother, Mary, took care of the kids. In 1850, James traveled around Illinois with Abraham Lincoln. Never heard of him. Yeah. Oh, that's that guy from those credit union commercials. Yes. Right, right, right. Uh, He went with them on Abe's famous tour, a debate tour with Stephen Douglas. James was a very popular speaker also. He clerked in the Illinois legislature. He ran for office on an anti-monopoly platform, but lost. Interesting. So Elizabeth comes from a connected family. Sure. James is very against monopolies. And the ownership of land. Okay, interesting. Didn't believe, in, didn't believe in the ownership of land. Okay. Which I'm totally down with. Yeah, I get that. When Elizabeth was 13, the family had hard times. And she left school to get a job to help support the family. Okay. She went to a, a stenographer's convention with her father. Oh, those are just great. Oh, fuck. Those are fun. Rager. That is a party. Rager. That is a party. Yeah. What kind of keys you got? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Boom, that's it. Ching. They just show it to you. What's yeah. that? Oh, you wrote a My thing. My answer. Yeah, right, that's sorry. great. Hi, and how are you? Yes, how are Oh, my name's Dave. How are you? You're good. Um, what's well, nice to meet you. Okay, is how long is this going for? Or Okay, I'm just going to take off. Why don't you slip that under my door? Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, so the typewriter was uh, a huge business at this point. It was a ta- sure. new, new thing, taken off. Everyone's right. like, oh, my God, I we can imagine. make letters with yes. machines. But it had to be amazing. I mean, yeah. it really had to be awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so stenography was a job also opening up for women because so many guys had died in the Civil War. Okay. Which is awesome. Sure. Um, around this, not, no, I guess it's awesome both. It's great when guys die and also when women get jobs. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, around this time. <laughs> you can support both sides of it. Yeah. Uh, James was also introduced, uh, James introduced Elizabeth to a, new, a book. Okay. Um, called Poverty and Progress by Henry George. Okay. 
Now, George's belief came, believes came to be known as Georgism. Sure. <laughs> Creative. He was like, is that all we got? That's it. All right. Just using your Should name. Should we try one other option? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, we, we, took a me- we took a meeting. Got, everyone got together and I voted. I wasn't invited to the meeting. Yeah, yeah. There were other Georges there. Oh, okay. Oh. You were very represented. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Georgism. Catchy. It's about you. Right. It's great. We like you. Great. All right. Well. Go ahead and take off your pants. I'm, they're, they're coming off slowly. Not wearing underwear. Yep. <laughs> George believed people should be able to own anything they created except for land, which belonged to everyone, and no one person should be able to profit from owning land or anything in nature. Sure. Which I totally so, agree yes, with. Yes. 100% great, on yeah, board, 100%, sure. yeah. no owning anything. Uh, uh, some already did uh, own land. Right. So his idea then was to tax those people. Okay. As opposed to taking the land away. He wanted to eliminate all taxes except for a single tax, which would be imposed upon, quote, idle landowners. So one, so all of your money, all your taxation is just on land. From land, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, George argued this would encourage landowners to use land in a responsible and collective way, which we know is not something that would ever happen. Right. And <laughs> we have not done that in any capacity. <laughs> Poverty, uh, huge at the time, and Georgism resonated with people. Progress in poverty was incredibly popular. It outsold all books except for the Bible in the 1890s. God, we're so, we always love that stupid Bible. Uh, yeah, it still sells. It's a hot item. It is a hot item. Jesus is doing a book signing at Bards and Nobs. I don't know if you saw that. I did. I, yeah, I'm, I don't really follow him anymore. Oh. Ever since he got on Twitter... Around the 1880s, uh, the uh, McGee's moved to Washington, D.C. James got a job working for the government. Elizabeth traveled in high political circles because, you know, her dad's connected. So. Sure. Uh, she got a job as a stenographer for the chief clerk of the dead letter office. The dead letter office? That's right. It's where dead letters go. What does that even mean? Uh, letters to dead people? No. Samantha, are you close? <sighs> oh, um, no, so it's uh, where letters would go that were undeliverable. So bad Und- penmanship, sure. Or someone just put like Gareth Reynolds on it with no address. Right. And I was like, that'll get there. Right. Which I'm sure fucking happened all the time back then. Hey, yeah. Just Marty. Dave. You know Marty, the guy with the face <laughs> yeah. and the, the hair. He's got the big hair. Andy with hair. <laughs> Here you go, man. Man, there's no what? No, I can't. Okay, take it. Please just get it. You'll know it's him when you see the hair. He lives in the place near the hill. All right, it's close to the hill, stupid. So all these letters would come in, and they would go through the mail, and they'd, they'd open it up. They'd destroy, if it was a letter, they'd just destroy it. But if there was something else, money or some item, right? They would. Um, the money would go toward uh, the government. The um, items would be auctioned off. Okay. Uh, dead letter clerks, most of them were women. The office had started hiring women during the war and now believed that they were more honest and faithful than male workers. Yeah. And also, also uh, women just happened to make like a fraction of what men did. Right. Also so that. It's win, 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 win. Yeah, yeah they're the, honest and... Well, I don't, yeah. I don't think they believe the honest thing. I think that was just... A, oh, they just were like... Yeah, we, look how much money we can save. honest. So honest you won't try to negotiate. <laughs> People argued that that's the way uh, it should be. In 1869, a New York Times article argued women should not make, quote, the mistake of demanding equal payment with men, because so long as their labor is cheaper than that of men, there will be a powerful reason for employing it. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, you get it? It's yes, a good, it's, it's, a, a, solid it's another one of those uh, hollow talking points. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's New York Times. Never been wrong. No. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth was also... Constantly wrong. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth, also very creative. Okay. Uh, she wrote poetry. Which is, a, which is a great thing to have as a stenographer. Yeah. The creative flair. People love that. Yeah. Uh, she wrote poetry and short stories. Okay. At night, she perf- uh, performed as an actress and became known for comedic roles. Interesting. Yeah, okay. She's a funny lady. Sure. She had a, a great stage presence, and uh, she just made audiences roll with laughter. Like, she would just kill it. Okay. Um, she was small, with curly, dark hair and bushy that is eyebrows. Funny. Yeah. Bushy eyebrows. No way you got to show me on that. Oh, okay. Well, those look trimmed a little bit. Someone. Yeah, but those are not, not bushy. Well, it's certainly not. Uh, those are bushier. Yeah. Still not like I would not see that person and be like, "Oh, her eyebrows are crazy bushy." Yeah. Uh, so, which I do. I'm ought to say to a lot of people, you should say that. Yeah. Whenever people who have bushy eyebrows want you. To hey, say you got that. some solid bushers. Holy I'm Gareth. Shit, How you are got you? Some tree. You know what? You should get as a gardener. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gareth. Face. Do you like pasta? Huh? Yeah. That's how I pick up on bushy eyebrowed. That's not good. Yeah. Boy, you got a couple bushes up there, huh? You like movies? No. What? You got two bushes right up there. Yeah, I got I that. I love them. Mm, I'd love to get my mouth around those bushes. No. We should go play tennis. I don't agree Come with on. anything that you're Come saying. Come on. No. I'll follow you. I know. Oh, that's okay. A, that's why the police are here. Oh, hey, guys. It's me from earlier. I, yep, they know. She's got bushes, too. Okay. I know the drill. Why don't you beat it? All right. Uh, so she saved up enough money to buy her own home in a DC suburb, including several acres of property. She but had a roommate. Wait, she's not supposed to be buying land. I know, but she's been. She's. It's the money. prison she was born into. <laughs> so she has a roommate, a male actor, and a black female servant. So again, not not at all. None of this is normal for a woman of the time. Okay, own a home and you know right. Uh, have a roomie. Yes. Yeah. A male roommate. Yeah, not be married. People, have a male yeah. roommate is not People normal. Probably, right. Elizabeth also dabbled in engineering in her spare time. So, you know, at night you do a little engineering. Yeah, like yeah, you no. Do. Like you do. Yeah, well, I put on my conductor hat. I go play That's with right. the trains. That's not the same thing. Oh. When she was 26, she received a patent for an invention that made the typewriting process easier by allowing paper to go through more easily. Okay. Sure. So she's fucking smart. Yeah. Uh, at this time, less than 1% of patents were given to women. Wow. Jesus. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. And that's just, that's not, uh, I mean, that's just because. They weren't allowed to do anything. The, the, right. <laughs> at all. Exactly. Like anything at all, period. Right. Like if you're a husband and you walk in and your wife was tinkering with stuff down in the garage, you'd be like, what in holy heavens is, you're it's a It's not witch. what you think. It's not what you think. Wait, I have to stone you now. <laughs> oh, you're my no. wife. Oh, wow. Um. So just two weeks after she went, uh, after he went with her to apply for the patent, her father, James, got sick and died. Okay. She's devastated. Now, she takes a little time off from life, you know? Sure. Thinks about things. Sure. Around this time, an openly bisexual woman, Mary McLean, published her autobiography, I Await the Devil's Coming. Wow. She came in strong. That is awesome. She came in super strong. She's also like 23, so she's That's not great. <laughs> People were just like, well, we can't. What do we this say to her? Very hot. She's excited for Satan. Uh, 
quote, I am not good. I am not virtuous. I am not sympathetic. I am not generous. I am merely and above all a creature of intense, passionate feeling. I feel everything. It is my genius. It burns me like fire. Jesus Christ. So she's not like... Uh, yeah. Yeah, she's intense. Not your normal... <laughs> There's really nothing in there that's like, hey, whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> she said women needed to liberate themselves. Uh, Elizabeth read it and was very moved. She told her mother, quote, people may think Mary McLean is crazy. They will be saying that the same thing about me someday. Oh, boy. Okay. So she, uh, goals. Because she's probably, yeah, well, she's probably going to try to do something with her life, which imagine. is just people are going to be like, what? Yeah. Elizabeth got stories published in magazines. At night, she taught classes about Georgism. Jesus, okay. Uh, so she's super passionate about uh, super passionate about Georgism. Like, that's now her life. It's like when you meet a Ron Paul person. Right. It's that kind of thing where you're just like, can you please shut up? Right. Uh, but she wanted to get the word out to more people than just teaching classes. Okay. So she started drawing and redrawing, thinking and rethinking a board game to help push Georgism. Because board games are kind of big at this point. Okay. It's one of the many ways you get the word out. Okay. I'm wondering what this board game is. She applied for a patent of the game in 1903. It was called the Landlord's Game. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth now is in her 30s. There's a lot of repairs. Yeah. So you're going over and there's some guy. It's like, hey, man, there's something wrong with the toilet. I swear to God. There's a bunch of doll heads in it. (laughs) Weirdo. She wrote about her game in an issue of the Single Tax Review. That's the great single tax on land. So they made a ma- they made a review magazine sort of situation it's about and the, a really great cartoon. I got, I, I burn through it every month. It's great. I burn through it. It's great. Quote: It is a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. So it's a board game about land land grabbing. Right. She was granted a U.S. patent on January fifth, nineteen oh four. Um, you again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, the woman's back. Uh, ring the bell. What's up, under one percenter? There <laughs> you go. It's a pretty good idea. <laughs> uh, so it, it's actually a pretty big risk for women this time to put their opinions on there. If you can imagine a woman being attacked for putting her opinions out. That's a shot. I can't yeah. imagine. Um, so at this time, that happened. It was frowned um, upon. Yes. Weird. Uh, we don't do that anymore. Nope. It wasn't just uh, something women did at the time. The common belief was that women didn't have much to contribute to the world of ideas. Pretty bold. Uh, A newspaper wrote, quote, that women probably, sorry, a newspaper wrote uh, that women probably lived longer because, quote, they don't use their brains as much as men. Yep. Right there. That's a deep thinker. Yeah. It's uh, her brain is small it's and soft. It's she needs she should put it in a corner and leave it. Whereas men are thinking and they're oh, dying from thought. Words coming out of my face. Hurry. <laughs> Elizabeth also seemed to have no interest in marriage just for the sake of marriage, which is also not normal for yes, time. Like no, squad sure. goal is not to get married. Well, yeah, but you're, you're I mean, isn't the idea that you're just supposed to jump into something and yeah. be tortured by not, it? Not her, not oh. at all. She's very proud of her choice to not get married, very outspoken against norms. She quit her job at the dead letters office and went to work for a private company. And then she moved to Chicago and worked again as a stenographer. But she's only making $10 a week, and she had a hard time getting by. Okay. Now, and that's been going on for a while, right? She's like, what, she she started as a stenographer when she was in her early teens. So she's, right. it's been a long time on the road. Right, she's been stenning for a while. Yeah. When she was 40, uh, she was not pleased with how women were treated in society. And Elizabeth wrote a fake ad 
mocking marriage as the only option for women. Okay, so she made it a sarcastic ad? Yeah. Okay. She paid to have it published in a paper, and it caused a sensation and was then carried by other papers across the country. Okay. Uh, the top of the ad read, quote, For sale to the highest bidder, young woman, American slave. Jesus. Intelligent, educated, refined, true, honest, just, poetical, philosophical, board-minded, and big-souled, and womanly above all things, brunette, large, gray, green eyes, full, passionate lips, splendid teeth, not beautiful, but very attractive, well-proportioned, graceful, supple. She wanted to say she had a serious illness a year ago and a streak of bad luck and lost everything, and she had expensive tastes. She liked nice things. Uh, this, this ad? Yeah, it's right. all in the ad. Is this ad specifically long, for her? It's a very It's just ad. for... No, it's for her. She's it selling is. Oh, herself. okay, okay. Yeah, she's selling right. herself. Pitching herself. Right. I should do this. Uh, quote, she longs for silk underwear and is wearing 10-cent gauze undershirts and washing them out herself. It's pretty hard uh, times for a man that's down, but it's 10 times worse for a woman. Now, Elizabeth wrote, wrote that in these hard times, the poor were slaves to masters of privilege. This is all in the ad. She, this, <laughs> it's a long ad. I it's read a it. long ad. Yeah. Uh, men were driven to crime and women to shame in brothels. Quote, these poor victims of our social and economic conditions are only seeking to escape from some uncongenial toil or from some legal bondage into which they have been forced what by... What kind stri- of gum is this for? <laughs> <laughs> Real long. Minty fresh. Oh, Many fresh for the woman who toils in the society's buckets. That's, that's right. Okay. Uh, uh, which have been forced by stress of circumstances and environment. This young woman, therefore, in offering herself for sale, is doing nothing but what hundreds of women are doing every day. Okay. She is so, very curious to know Jesus. what may be the highest market value that is set upon an American slave of her qualifications by the American master of privilege. This must have gone over every man's head. <laughs> every man was like, well, I mean, how much you fixing to make? Based on what I read, yeah, pretty much almost well, every How man. much you want for to buy you, <laughs> which is, by the way, a pretty cool idea. <laughs> I, I like it. Uh, of course, the ad's a sensation. Uh, quickly became the subject of news stories and gossip columns across the country. Sure. Elizabeth was a little bit dazed. She didn't realize it was going to become a national thing. Right. And people be flipping out. Right. Uh, many women wrote to her saying they wished they could do what she had done or to say they thought they were alone in feeling the way she did. Okay. Um, but even though it was clearly a fake ad to point out the un- injustice of society, offers rolled in. Well, uh, uh, hey, I like uh, you. Yeah. I like the way you're like, I'm a slave. Did, yeah, but did you read all of it? I'm looking for a slave woman also. Yeah, no, I understand. I was kind of trying to point out the way that there's this bizarre hierarchy that is set now, based on gender. Now, when you said supple, yeah. I, really, I really, like I fell, I fell into that word. Did you read all the ad or did you just sort of? Because there's two P's in supple, and when I thought you wrote that, I thought that was like a breast thing. You know what I mean? Right. You've been completely misled throughout all this, but then the pea breast thing is really startling. So keep, I'm just the peas made you think of breasts. Because I peas, keep I keep watching your lips. Right. That's, that's where I'm Well, at. I should I wish there was a font for sarcasm because I was really trying to sort of lay it on real thick. Huh? Yeah. Um let's just go with I've already met someone. He paid a lot for me. I can outbid. No, he's really cool about it, so I'm going to stick with him. But thanks for coming. Can I buy him? Can I buy you from him? No, it's not. 
Nope. No. Not sure you know how slavery works. Yeah, I don't think you My know how sarcasm. slave. Yes. All right. Well, boop, boy, boop. I'm actually upset that I did settle down because you seem like a real catch. How do? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to climb out this window. Okay. And uh, get away from you. Mm. All not right. The, not the first one. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> yeah. I'll follow you. Fucking empty headed moron. Okay. No, dude, All right. Stupid son of a bitch. That's where you shouldn't have ideas. Uh, so an older man said he had come up with the cure for hog cholera and was going I to... I finally figured out how to get rid of cholera and hogs, so... And that he was going to make a million dollars. Uh, once, uh, the patent office okays it. And that she was just the woman he'd been looking for. I'm looking for someone to come and live the paradise life in hog cures. She declined that one. Why? Quote, no, maybe you didn't understand. I did. Hogs I did. will be cholera-free cholera from now yeah, on. Yeah, no, I got it. I don't care. Uh, I don't. I don't care at all. It I was, also uh, figured out a way to make cows not poop. Okay, that's all. The whole thing was. Sarcastic. It's a laser. Yeah, I mean, you my shoot p- it into the cow's anus. Okay, so my point was, kiss me, my love. Women, I've are, met the one. Are not given it when you know you know. Place to provide for themselves equally as men in the world. It wasn't easy. That's my point. A lot of hogs died. Yeah, in the testing. Okay. I okay. Love you, my sweet. <laughs> Yeah, this was a good. Uh, you should actually fuck pigs. Well, to be honest, okay, the cure okay, is actually caused yeah, by an injection similar to that. Don't do this. Uh, don't do this. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. I will leave you heartbroken. Okay. But it took three hogs for me to realize that having sex with them would not cure them of cholera. If anything, gave me a little bit of it. I love you, my princess. <laughs> You're the best. Quote, a young man who was recently blown all to pieces by an explosion and who is now... It's uh, not a good start. He, he was uh, blown all to pieces. <laughs> a young man who was recently blown all to pieces by an explosion and who is now comfortably ensconced in a plaster cast very gallantly offers me his love and fortune and what there is left of him. A As man... I said before, I am not looking for a husband, but if I ever do take one, I want a whole one. <laughs> Oh my God! Wait. Okay. So wait. A man. I mean, she's great. A man who was blown to pieces Probably was just basically paper mache back together. No, I guess this is way after the Civil War. Yeah. And so he got, like, he got into some sort of gas explosion sure, situation, yeah. and uh, and he and they put they managed to keep enough of him that they could put it in a cast. Right. And so she was like, "I would like. I'd rather a whole again." Man. I was being sarcastic, but I'd rather a b- person. Yeah, a whole. Yeah. Right. And I'll, and I'll, a, a sewn together one. If she's gonna take it through the mail, how about? Up one that's all pieces. Yeah, yeah. Uh, marriage proposals came up, uh, made up the bulk of the letters she received. Others offered a room in their family homes, quote, to save her. Oh, God. Yeah, right. She got one of her for, uh, to be a dime museum freak. Oh, well, from what we've learned on this show, that's the avenue to take. That is. That's a good way to make 10 cents and die. Uh, another from Upton Sinclair. Okay. Who was also into Georgism. Okay. Uh, he understood exactly what she was saying with the ad, and he sent her a check for an unknown amount and invited her to meet him in New York and see he might have a writing assignment for her. So he's like, oh, she's a good writer. Right, okay. So he, he being a smart man, he read it, and he knew what she was fucking saying. Yeah, he was she like, was oh, like she, oh, that's nice. She should be, she's actually very talented. But then she got there, and, he was like, and uh, that's what attracted me. Anyway, so put much. your hand here. Anyway. Uh, so Elizabeth uh, got hired to write for a newspaper in 1906, and her aim was to highlight the subordinate position of women in society. Okay. 
Quote, we are not machines. Girls have minds, desires, hopes, and ambitions. (laughs) What happened to the newspaper? There's something wrong with it. It's broken. The words are mixed up. I keep trying to shake the bullshit out, but it's still on the page. Okay. Honey, is this a prank paper? Yes, darling. She called uh, John D. Rockefeller, the slave owner of the country. Wow. So she's fucking knocking shit out of the park. Yes. Uh, And so far, highly accurate. Yeah. Uh, She said he uh, owned 200,000 slaves for $500 a year each. Wow. She blamed the voters for giving the rich power. Quote, in a short time, I hope a very short time, many women will discover that they are all poor because Carnegie and Rockefeller maybe have more than they know what to do with. How is she polling against Biden? (laughs) In interviews, she described marriage as a, quote, germ, like a disease. (laughs) I mean, boy. I think I did find the one. Yeah. Just she, said, she said nobody knew what love was and that marriage was not for her. Unless she could see her husband once every three days. She enjoyed her solitude too much. Well, the, the go with the plaster man. Yeah. He was the go way with, to go. Go with pieces who's you been machined together. Down, yeah. You can leave him downstairs. My darling. Yeah. My darling. For sure. Please. Or you can just pop out the cork and whatever oozes out. Oh. I'm know. leaking. I don't, know. I don't know how plaster works. Oh. I feel like there's a, uh, like a hole in the bottom. No, there's a corking it. hole. Yeah. No, it's pretty much, you're, you're like a barrel of whiskey. Right. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth married four years later. Okay. But she took the un- unusual route again. She married a 54-year-old man, Albert Phillips, who was 10 years older. Okay. Uh, it was pretty out of the ordinary for a woman to marry in her 40s and weird for a guy to marry a woman who had openly said marriage was a disease. Sure, sure. Um, but they were very similar. In 1889, he had published a magazine called Climax. Whoa, hello. It was, quote, devoted to the interests of a matrimonial bureau. It Wait. I think it's saying it's supposed to be in the marriage bedroom. It, so it is it's a... It's supposed to tickle the fancy. Well, well, well. <laughs> Climax magazine. <laughs> it had photos of curvy women with exposed arms and knees. No, David, please. I have to stand up before we leave here tonight. Uh, oh, so you could see their... Ooh, look their at the knees on that one. Human arms. Human arms coming out of a shirt. I knew she had arms. Good Lord, look, look at those knees. Look at those. Look at those knockers. Look at those ankles. Oh, my God. Oh, those knees. He was arrested. He was arrested. And charged with using the mail for fraudulent and misleading ads. So they, you know, they had to get him on something because he was showing women's uh, elbows and shit. Right, yeah. So So Elizabeth was now giving lectures about feminism. Uh, She had her father's speaking ability. Okay. The press said she used, quote, women's graphic language. Okay. I couldn't well, find this, out what it was. Yeah. But you can imagine she was like, women um, should be able to have a job. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, I, she, I'm sickened. Oh, Jesus. What this is she is doing? This is so graphic. Yeah. <laughs> Around this time, board games were becoming very popular with middle class families. They had more uh, leisure time and electricity allowed games to be played safely during long hours. Sure. Elizabeth still had her game idea. Okay. She published it through the Economic Game Company, a company she was now a part owner of. Okay. The game had a path for players to follow in a circle around a board. In one corner uh, was a poor house and a public park. Another had a jail. Another had uh, uh, 
a symbolism to Henry George with the words, quote, labor upon Mother Earth produces wages. Okay. The game had streets and landmarks for sale. So wait, she, she made Monopoly. Huh? Uh, if you landed on one spot, you had to, quote, go to jail. Yeah. But the game had two sets of rules. There were the prosperity rules in which every player gained when someone brought, bought a new property. So every time someone bought a property, <laughs> everybody got a little bit of money because it's, uh, you know. Yeah, no the collective own, good. Yeah, collective good. This was the George, Georgism version. Or when uh, the player play the capitalist version. Uh, well, when the player who started with the least amount of money doubled it, then everyone's a winner. Right. That's how you won. Right. <laughs> Seems so foreign. Uh, the second set of rules were called the monopolist rules. Right. Players bought properties and collected rent from players who landed on their property. Whoever bankrupted everyone else was the winner. This was Elizabeth's way of showing how bad <laughs> capitalism was. Right. She thought the two versions would help people understand nope. monopoly. <laughs> They didn't. How about people understand monopolies and land ownership were bad? The game trickled out into the world without much of a splash. Right. So she, the monopoly we know today was her version of like, how bad is this? Basically. And we're like, it's perfect. (laughs) We love it. Oh, that guy we could own. In 1909, Elizabeth wrote a paper titled, quote, a graphic description of hell by one who was actually in it. Wow. I mean, she doesn't Jesus, she's got a real flair. <laughs> it's maybe the greatest title ever. <laughs> what is it again? A graphic description of hell by one who is actually in it. <laughs> and people are like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm a stenographer. It's hell. Um, she described the hardships she went through because she was self-sustaining. She wrote, quote, it is hell to have a superior education and to have to work for and obey the command of ignorance. A.K.A. Bosses. Fucking suck yeah. is what that's called. Like she is working for fucking idiots. <coughs> well, also being a uh, woman forced, so she can never into a position of subordination right. by idiots. By idiots. So she's just based purely on gender. She can never. She can never in a job advance above morons. Right. Because she's a woman. Right. Yeah. Elizabeth invested in a new game called Mock Trial, a card game. Okay. Uh, in 1910, she sent the game to Parker Brothers, who published it. In 1913, the Landlord's Game was published in Scotland. That's the name of her game. Okay. I didn't say it before. Right. Um, under the name Brer Fox and Rabbit. Much better. Yeah. Much closer. Very Scottish. Yeah. Fuck because yeah. we're all Blair Foxes or the Rabbit. <laughs> okay, sure. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what? Um, the rules were the same, but if you went bankrupt, you could go to the nearest opportunity space where land was free and there was no rent and one could work to pay off debts. Boy, they really kind of refined it to get all the, the, uh, common good out of the game. Yeah, they're trying to do common good. But then came America's fear of communism. Right. And Georgism, with its idea of, ideas of no land ownership, became seen as un-American. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. The Red Scare. Although Karl Marx thought Georgism was, quote, utterly backward. Sure. Okay. Because he, he's like, well, you can't just have some land free and then tax, just take it away from right. the people that fucking own it. Right. He was always the least funny of the Marx brothers. <laughs> he was not great, but they were a good foursome. He saw it as an attempt to save capitalism. That's how he viewed Georgism. Uh, the Red Scare hit America in 1919, and radicals started being arrested. To the public, there weren't, wasn't much difference between Georgism and socialism and communism. Right. So Georgism starts to fade away. Still, in 1923, 
Elizabeth filed to update her patent on the landlord's game. She revised some rules. She added Chicago-based spaces to the board. She and Albert moved to D.C. She no longer has much of a voice, though, because, right, Georgism is gone, and that was her whole chant. Right, okay. Um, There's the board. Oh, wow. Um, But the landlord's game uh, was sort of living on its own, right? It had come out years ago. And the game had become a hit with left-wing intellectuals on college campuses, including Harvard and Columbia. A staff member of Congressman Fiorello LaGuardia, LaGuardia, sorry, played it often with an attorney who would go on to become the chairman of the ACLU. Huh. A professor was teaching the game to his students at Columbia. That professor was then invited to be one of Franklin uh, Roosevelt's close advisors. Others, like George Mitchell of New York City, played it with friends and started making copies of the board for family members, and the game was spreading around with individual tweaks. So a all viral people, board game. It's a viral board game. So right. all these people are taking her game and then making little tweaks to it and passing it around, and someone else makes tweaks. But a lot of them are, are, there, a lot of them are holding true to the idea that it is... It's still the same square. Land share. And, yes, right, it's right. still the same basic idea of, of land and that stuff, right, and monopoly right. okay. and not monopoly. But like when you sit down and play a game and someone says, no, it's this rule, it's that rule, it's just getting tweaked. Right, okay. George Mitchell was then invited to uh, help work on the New Deal in Washington, D.C. When he went with him. I love he- how she didn't. They're like, <laughs> this guy knows how to play the game that I came up with. It was quiet down over there. Well, so he took the game with him, and he played it over a dozen times with people who created the New Deal. Wow. Now, these are all homemade boards. Right. And so at this time, the board that she put out is gone, and it's just people making boards. So no one actually knows she created it who's doing this. Okay. Um, but it's all, all copied from her original landlord's game. These homemade boards did not come with instructions and it was very doubtful. Elizabeth was getting any credit at all. She probably had no idea what was happening. Okay. The game was also very popular in frat houses at Williams college. Sure. Right. <laughs> of course. Different time. Safe to say a different time. I'm betting they liked the monopoly part. They pro- that's probably what they did. Yeah. One frat member had stumbled across a homemade version of the game in 1927 and brought it to school. They called it the Monopoly game. Right. As did many at this point. Okay. They taught others to play it. More homemade boards no, it's are all created. about screwing over your friends. It's about fucking everybody you know. And you get everything. And, and then, then you own everything. And everyone else fucking dies. And then you get your dick su- uh, Nothing. Whoa, whoa. Sorry. Jimmy. Sorry. Jimmy, get over here. Okay. Get over here. Um, oh, then the, the Great Depression came. Oh, uh. One of the frat people guys. were like, clearly, Monopoly's the right way to go. Well, yeah, clearly, frat guys had to drop out. Uh, one of the frat guys had to drop out of school. Goes back home to Indianapolis, and then he's there. He has no job, and he starts to make Monopoly games, his version of it, and hoping to sell it on a mass scale. His game used money, printed money, right? So he made fake money, which is what they did in the frat house, and miniature houses. Uh-huh. One, right. d- one day, one of the frat guys came back from where he was, and he had found, like, little steeples. And they were, he was like, we should use these houses in the Monopoly game. And they came up with that. So I love how it's like Apple back in the heyday. Really, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. So he called up his, uh, he called this game Finance, because an attorney friend told him not to call it Monopoly, since there was an informal game already being played with that name. Oh, the, her... Well, Monopoly's out there, which all these people are modifying. Right, right. But that's her, her landlord's game is now Monopoly. That's the... Basically. Right, okay, it's, gotcha. Yeah, so he's like, don't do that version because right. that's what everyone's calling it. Right, just steal the concept and yeah. call it something different. Right, that's right. 
With the help of, uh, of a friend who started printing them up, he soon started selling it. Sales were pretty good. In 1932, he hired a friend to sell it for him in and around uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, word of mouth was big. Okay. A teacher in Indianapolis made a version and then took it to her new job in Atlantic City, which was uh, a lot of Quakers lived in Atlantic City. Sure. And she got a job at a Quaker-funded uh, school called the Atlantic City Friends School. Uh, she had been told the name of the game was Monopoly, and her game had Midwestern names on the board. Okay. So she introduced it to other Quakers who made copies. Uh, changing the street names, colors are added, chance and community are added. The properties are grouped into threes. Prices of property values in Atlantic City were mimicked in the game. Right, that's right, right. Poor black neighborhoods on uh, Baltic and Mediterranean avenues, the kosher restaurants Jesus on Oriental and Pacific, New York wow. Avenue, where there were male sex workers and gay bars. The teacher had lo- uh, the teacher had long game nights packed with Quakers. So it's like all these Quakers are coming to play Monopoly. Wow. No one wrote down the rules. They all knew how to play, or they right. just told each other. Right, okay. So then a Quaker couple comes from Philadelphia for a visit, and they play the game. And they think it's awesome, so someone makes them a copy of the board. <coughs> okay. And they take it home. And then the wife invited another couple over to, quote, play Monopoly. This is like Grateful Dead album. <laughs> <laughs> uh so these were the Todds who made their own copy. Okay. Um, and from there was introduced to the Darrows, but the Darrows are not Quakers. So okay. So this is the first time outside the Quaker sort of group. Uh, Mr. Darrow's name was Charles. The Todds made the Darrows a copy of the board. Okay. And then the three couples would play together, like every Friday and Saturday night. They'd just get together and play Monopoly. Sure. This is what people were, like, people yeah. were board gaming the fuck out of it. Like, I it was, Look, I get it. Charleston asked, I mean, it has to be so entertaining. Like, considering yeah, what's going on... Yeah, there's nothing else to do. Yeah, I mean, people you're are going reading, to watch walk-a-thons. or you're hanging out talking, or yeah. you're... Yeah, that's right. right. Better time. Uh, unless you're not white. You're right. Um, so he asked for written rules of the game from uh, Mr. Todd. Uh, he said he wanted to introduce other people to the game. Sure. And so Todd wrote down the rules and gave it to Charles, and then Charles stopped talking to the Todds. Oh, boy. He's going. Charles is unemployed. Oh, here we go. I love how the game of greed is making people greedy. <laughs> like, you know what I should do? Screw people over. Um, so he calls it Monopoly. Well, he's unemployed. He has zero prospects for a job because it's the Depression. Sure. Their youngest son got scarlet fever and then came out of it with brain damage. Okay. So he needs... And then they can't take care of him, so... There's they a really money. super progressive good hospital that they can't afford, or it's like put them in a fucking shackle place, right? Look at the healthcare system's been the same. This, this actually, this may have never happened if we had universal healthcare. Right. Well, we can't, but we can't get it. We don't have enough. But money. also, Breaking Bad wouldn't happen. So what's where's our true? Trade-off? Right. True. Um, worth it. Worth it for yeah, sure. Worth okay. it. Yeah. It's a great show. Yes. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, so he has his professional cartoonist friend and he asks him for a favor. We all have one of those. Yeah. We all yeah. got a buddy. He, he asks him for a favor, says he has a game. He wants to jazz it up and try to market it. So his friend comes over and they start playing it. And as they play it, the friend starts drawing things and yeah, fancying it draws up. Draws a little aristocrat. That's right. Uh, so he adds all these illustrations 
And then Charles takes it out and starts trying to sell the game. It's so weird. The box reads Monopoly. There's right. no trademark. Right. A local Philadelphia-based department store, Watermakers, soon began selling the game. The Georgism symbols and references to the landlord game are now completely gone. Unfucking believable. The changes made the game seem completely pro capitalist. Yeah. Demand grows. Charles submits it to Milton Bradley and the Parker brothers, who both turn it down. Then Charles gets it into FAO Schwartz catalog. The wife of a new guy at Parker Brothers played the game and comes back to her husband and says, This game is fucking awesome. You got to buy this. Right. So Parker Brothers is in bad, bad financial shape, and they need something. So this guy goes to Philadelphia, and he goes to Charles Darrow, and he buys the game for $7,000 plus residuals. Game residuals. Game residuals. <laughs> A fucking living high off Parcheesi, bro. It is brother. Hollywood, yeah. I mean, it's like... Yeah. It's a hit. Yeah, okay. Takes off. Monopoly sweeps the country. Millions in profits. They're just fucking... They have a monopoly. <laughs> I don't think I have. No, that's not it. Uh, so, oh, there's the Landlord's Game. There's one version of it. Oh, wow. I will come back to that. Uh, yeah. So um, so this is uh, Darrow. You know, he's a good guy. Yeah. Doesn't look good at all. Yeah. Um, so he, they're just rolling in the money. The game saves Parker Brothers, the business. People had no money uh, to go out because it's the depression. depression. Right. So they're staying home and playing with fake Amounts of money and fake capital, like they're playing yep. capitalism because they can't go outside. And play, yeah, play no, it. no, it's escapism. <laughs> totally. Yeah, hundred percent. This is video games of the yeah, time. Yeah. Still, a few people around the country had previous versions. So the official versions out there, but then there's still those ones that people are the still making versions, up. Right. Yeah, the bootleg version of Monopoly is still out there. Right. So a guy from Brooklyn wrote a letter to Parker Brothers. Quote, do you idiots know how to play this game or are you trying to disrupt homes and destroy families with your damn rules? He signed it the Iron Duke. Uh, sweet mother of God. I've been playing this game great. forever. What the fuck is but this, Parker But he calls Brothers? himself the Iron Duke? Yeah, he went strong. It's <laughs> great. Is he a wrestler? I don't know. I, like okay. him. I hope so. Yeah. So Charles Darrow becomes rich and he says he's on his way to becoming a millionaire. They buy a farm. There's a lot of irony in this. Put their son into the progressive care facility. Sure. A reporter asked Charles how he'd come up with the game. Quote, I stole it. It's just a freak. <laughs> yeah. Entirely unexpected. Totally illogical. Uh-huh. Parker Brothers had previously been sued over tiddlywinks and ping pong. Well, Dave, <laughs> say no more about the era. <laughs> tiddlywinks? <laughs> the people versus winks. <laughs> Yeah, Tiddlywinks was a crazy popular game in the 1880s. Oh, God. Tiddlywinks. Yeah. So the company went around and tried to buy up all the U.S. rights from people that said they made it. What, the little rogue pockets of yeah, winkers? Yeah, the little, the little Tiddlywinkers sure. all over the, okay. the Tiddlywinks. Sure. And when they thought they had bought up all the rights, they started selling Tiddlywinks, saying this is a Parker Brothers well, game. But then uh-huh. other people were like, this isn't a fucking Parker I got one. My grandpa got, got one. My grandpa, yeah. Everybody's he got Tiddlywinks. How do you fucking own Tiddlywinks? Went to court. Other uh, game companies went, took him to court, and they're like, "Yeah, it's public domain. Tiddlywinks is public domain. What are you fucking doing?" Okay. Exact same thing happened with ping pong. Uh-huh. They were trying to call it ping pong. But everyone's like, "This is table tennis, dudes. Everyone knows what the no, fuck this is. We invented it. It's ping pong. It's ours." You're like, no, everyone's got. Come on. Same thing. We got to pay off thing. our tiddlywink lawyer. They tried to create a ping pong tournament to be like, "See, it's ours. It's our thing." Right. And it's totally different because like, it's a tournament. Yeah. 
So Parker Brothers wants to make sure that that doesn't happen with Monopoly. That they have a monopoly on Monopoly. That's right. right. And that they know the origin of the game and that they have it in writing from Clarence so they can track down everybody again and lock it down. You mean they now need to go to find everybody who had a version, basically, th- and like get the... I think they're starting to get an idea. They're like, we just got to make sure that this guy actually came up with it. They want him to put in writing right. that he came up with okay. it. And he writes this big, detailed history, which is just all bullshit. Right. Uh, and he called it, quote, my brain idea and my child. But it's still been around for 30 years in a bunch of different circles. Right. So then at the same time, another game publisher... Like maybe they're at a game conference or something, whatever. He's talking to a, a VP at Parker Brothers. Okay. And he says, quote, frankly, and I think without prejudice, that the original trading game came out in 1902. So this guy knows right, that, that there bullshit. was a game that came out right. that was very similar to this in 1902. So the VP investigates and learns that Charles had commandeered the name Monopoly and that it had been called Finance. Okay. So now, now we're back to the frat guy, right? Right. Uh, and finance had been on the market for a while. So naturally, Charles Darrow and Parker Brothers then filed for a patent on August 31st, 1935. A pat. Okay, so they, uh, but they're just, so they're ignoring yeah. that, and they're just plowing ahead with a patent that's for right. their game that they have stolen. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Uh, and they got it on December 31st. A shockingly and unheard of quick turnaround for the patent office. Hmm. Completely unheard of. Is there anything It doesn't happen nefarious? in four months. It's usually like 18 months, right. like two years. Right. No one knows. Just awesome, awesome thing happened for them. Sure. Who knows how? Just an awesome thing. Right. Also, the patents for the landlord game were completely ignored by the patent office. Remember, she's got two patents yeah, for yeah. The, the landlord's game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parker Brothers then purchased finance from the current makers, Nap Electric, Finance at this point was selling better than Monopoly, but the owner didn't want to know what he'd find out if he investigated the history. So basically they came to him and told him what was up, and they said they wanted to buy it, and then they put the you know, the little word in his ear, like, you know, do you want to know where this came from? No. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then they found a guy in Texas who was selling a similar game called Inflation, but he had changed it, so it was anti-tax. Of course, there's fucking Texas. <laughs> of there course. No taxes! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's about oil now. Um, so they sue him to stop. He countersues. And he says monopolies existed for years. So when he says that, they pay him to shut up and go away. Boy, oh boy. Because this is the Parker Brothers? Because he's right, yeah. They're a couple little mobsters. When you get into the gaming world, you cannot believe how... The shadiness? Fl- at one point, I, I didn't put it in here, because but there's a, uh, there's a book I'll tell you about at the end. Um, but there's a fucking shooting because someone stole someone's game idea in Chicago in Holy the 70s. Shit. Like, it's just fucking... Like, a guy goes into a game, a game company and shoots people up because they're fucking stealing ideas left and right and Good doing this Lord. kind of shit. You thought games were fun? I thought it was you a fun game. You know how many people died for sorry? Uh, well, that's the way they got the name. That's right. That, but that's the game of life, Dave. Sometimes you're going to be sorry. Sometimes you're going to connect four. Boy, you are trouble. Shut up. And then uh, eh, eh, tiddlywinks. Uh, What's this? Who's that? That's Parker, uh, George Parker. Oh, that's one of the Parker brothers. Yeah, there were three. Um, three? Yeah, I think just three. Uh, so 
So they, right, so they go back and they give the guy money in Texas and he goes away. Uh, the Parker brothers then approach two guys from the frat house, two brothers who were in the main frat. Sure. Um, who had their own version of the game that called. they were making. We don't know what this okay. one was called. They said they wouldn't make any trouble, but they're also not going to sell it. Okay. So then Parker Brothers found out people had stock in it, and they bought the stock, so then they owned that company. Parker Brothers did. Yeah, the okay. Frat Brothers. Right, okay. After all this, George Parker, so they think they got it all fucking wrapped up. Right. And then he goes to visit Elizabeth. Oh, here we go. What? McGee. It's great. She's going to be like, uh, no. So much worse than that. In November 1935, George says his company had come across an old copy of the landlord's game, and they wanted to buy it, even though he didn't agree with it politically. Of course not. It's It's a good game. I don't agree with it at all, but it's a good game. Right. I really would like to own this. She desperately wants to get George's out there. Like, that's her whole fucking thing, and she thinks this can do it. So she thinks they're going to buy her version and release. That's what he's telling her. Right, okay. And he offers to buy two other games she's made. So she's excited beyond she's three games they're buying. Yeah. She's uh, got a three game deal. Yeah. yeah three big. game deal. Yeah. Finally finally Georgism would reach a mass audience. She signs the deal and gets five hundred dollars and no residuals. Okay. It's probably not a good deal. She wrote George Parker a letter. She's very creative. So she writes it as though she's writing it to the game, which she thought he would find amusing. Quote, I charge you, do not swerve from your high purpose and ultimate mission. Though orders have fought for your possession, I would not yield you to them utterly. It was not until the great game king, George S. Parker, did us the honor of seeking you out and offered you a broader opportunity than I could ever do that I would part with you. Okay. And Parker Brothers made it. They made the Landlord's Game. They did. They sent her a prototype, which she was very excited about. That's this one. That's the one you saw. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Um, so it looks very different. So they've made it, but they've made it look very different than Monopoly. Yeah, right. right. Now it's all curvy and, and just very different. Um, so she's very excited about it. it. Goes on sale. Okay. Zero publicity. Okay. And then fades and obscured because they're not trying to sell it. Right. Well, and they also have Monopoly. Yeah. So they're just trying to get her to think Shut up. that they tried. Right. And right. no one wanted the game. Right. Uh, the other two games, Parker Brothers purchased, same thing. Kingsman and Bargain Day both just vanished. She was then shocked to see Monopoly on the market. And Charles Darrow claiming he had invented it. Right. She was upset not just for herself, but for the idea ideas of Henry George and that people playing Monopoly had no idea that it was an anti-capitalist game. No, of course not. So Elizabeth reached out to reporters at the Washington Evening Star and the Washington Post. The Evening Star article had a picture of Elizabeth in front of a Parker Brothers Monopoly board. She did not look happy. Right. The story said she invented a Monopoly version, but her game, quote, did not get the popular hold it has today. It took Charles B. Darrow, a Philadelphia engineer, who retrieved the game from the oblivion of the patent office and dressed it up a bit to get it going. What a great article. The post was pretty much the same. There's the the article. 
That's like such a misleading headline. Well, I, I'm I'm betting that she came. She comes in with a story, and then they reach out to Parker Brothers and Parker's. But oh, she's right. She's sweet, but yeah, yeah. That's not. She's a woman, right? Uh, so well, the post article is pretty much the same, but the so it's kind of it kind of deflates her. Uh, the Parker Brothers though realize they have a problem on their hands because she can't go to press. <coughs> Uh, but after that attempt to alert the world, Elizabeth kind of fades from the picture. Albert dies in 1937. She still pushes her beliefs and became the headmaster of the Henry George School of Social Science. Okay. Which is actually just uh, her home that she uh, runs a class at. Oh, shit. <laughs> Boy, okay. That's not great. Um, yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, so... Uh, so... Uh, then one day the frat guy who brought the game back to Indianapolis and sold it to the salesman buddy, uh, is flipping through time magazine. And then he finds a story about Charles Darrow inventor of monopoly. Right. So he writes a letter to the editor, which time published, but then nothing else came of. Okay. And he's not the only one. All the Quakers in Atlantic city were saying the idea was stolen. And the teacher who had originally brought it and her husband were being told to sue by people who knew them, but they said, quote, Quakers aren't supposed to go to the law. Like, it's not part of their religion. And so the Quaker community is upset by what happened, but they felt no one actually owned it, so no one should sue. Well, someone does own it. now. I mean, yeah, okay. It's clearly a public... It's a public domain. At that point, it's almost a public domain thing. It's just gone out into the world. Yes, but someone makes money off that specifically. Right, someone's making money off other people's ideas. Right. Many of the Quaker boys... I love how this game is all about greed, and it's I just know. bringing out all the greed in people. <laughs> Many of the Quaker boys got lost over time. Charles Darrow stays in the press, so he's this big fucking star. Right. Um, he's <laughs> I in mean, magazines. it's amazing that you're like a board game guru. Yeah. He's in magazines. He's going on TV shows. Right. Uh, he's the man who invented Monopoly until the day he died on August 28th, 1967. He was the first millionaire... Game designer in history. And it's off of Monopoly. And he didn't do it. Yes, and he didn't do it, right. In 1973, San Francisco State University professor Ralph Ansbach created a game called Anti-Monopoly. Hmm. He, thought the game Mono- he, he thought the game Monopoly created the impression that Monopoly, monopolies were good. Dude, I, I never gathered that. <laughs> By stamp, stomping out your competition. And, wow, it, that is amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is Monopoly. He wanted to, distra- to demonstrate how harmful monopolies could be and how antitrust laws work to curtail them. Sure. So he, he like, thinks Monopoly is dangerous because people it is. think Monopoly. Yeah, because yes. it is. Parker Brothers sued to shut down the game in 1974. And Ralph realized if he could prove the game existed before the patent, the patent would be invalidated. Right. So after a lot of research, he found Elizabeth's name and her 1904 and 1924 patents for the landlord's game. And then he found the frat guy who still had a finance game board. Okay. And he said they had all played an early version of the game and every person called it Monopoly. Uh, He agreed to testify in court. Ralph found more and more people who had played the game before Parker Brothers got the patent. So he's finding all these old people right. 
Quakers. He's fucking finding them all. He's finding those people that I'd named, the right. Todds, and he's fucking finding them all. Um, some of them have the old boards. And, of course, Elizabeth patents are very similar to Monopoly. And he noticed her game seemed more like his game, Anti-Monopoly, than it did the Parker's Brother version. Yeah. Which is the opposite. Yeah. Um, there he is. Oh, boy. Looks like he's... Um, so, after two years, Parker Brothers offered to settle with Anti-Monopoly. Okay. Which means he's got something. Yes. There's no way a company yeah. is going to give him fucking money. No, no. They offered him a position as an executive at Parker Brothers oh, and $500,000. Oh, God. This is the problem. <laughs> this is the problem with everything. The problem with everything is that you, you have morals, you have conviction until there's enough money and you're completely corrupted by it. Because well, I know this guy's going to take this job. Isn't that the problem with capitalism? That yeah. You can just buy people yes. and then they go, okay. Yes. Ralph passed. Interesting. Because the Parker brothers had someone on their hands who wanted to spread their political message just like the first fucking person who created an anti-monopoly game. Right. It's the same idea. Right. This is, the idea is more important. Boy, I hate the Parker brothers. His lawyer called him insane and quit. Sure. The case went on for years. Parker brothers admitted... In court, the Charles had not invented the game, but instead claimed they had bought up all the competition. Okay. That was business. That's what they said. That's how business works. Sure. And Parker Brothers won. The, the judge was very, a Nixon judge, he was very... I'm sure very he had a little pro. monocle and a top hat, and he was <laughs> like, mm, yes! <laughs> Anti-Monopoly was ordered to be destroyed. So he has to destroy all, copies, all copies of the games he can get his hands on, Ralph has to destroy. Jesus. So Parker Brothers then decided to make their victory a show, and on July 5th, 1977, with reporters watching, they buried around 40,000 anti-monopoly games in a landfill in Minnesota. Oh, I mean, could this get worse? Ralph watched. He stood there and watched. He's now massively in debt, because he's literally double mortgage, triple mortgages. All of his to credit fight cards the are maxed out, because right. he's taking on a massive company. Yeah. And he's right. Yes. And he's lost. Right. Well, because he went up against the Monopoly. Monopoly. That's right. But he's not done. He appeals. Okay. Three years later, he goes back to the landfill to find some of the games. What? He's going to go dig it up? He brings a friend, asks reporters to come down. Okay. And then he starts searching with his buddy in a landfill. For hours it goes on. Six hours pass. The reporter's like, so... Yeah, they finally give up. We, like, uh, we carved out like an hour <laughs> for your retrieval. I can't find the game. I'm sorry. Okay. So they uh, they all leave, and then he finds out later that, that night that they were at the wrong part of the landfill. The place where the games were buried has been sold, and the apartment, apartment buildings were now built on top. Great. <clears throat> then Ralph loses the appeal. Okay. Uh, he's down to one more appeal, and then that's it. Right. The court battle had been going on for six years. Oh, my God. Like I said, he's taking a third mortgage. Credit cards are maxed. His marriage is barely holding together. <laughs> my Gilbert board game. Finally, in the summer of 1982. He's just been so distracted. <laughs> the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit ruled against Parker Brothers. Nice. The trademark monopoly is invalid. 
Okay. The original judge's findings were reversed. The big line from the ruling was, quote, the court's reference to Charles Darrow as the inventor or creator of the game is clearly erroneous. All Ralph's legal bills now have to be paid by Parker Brothers. Mm. Parker Brothers appeals to the Supreme Court. Oh, my God. The Supreme Court? Yeah. <laughs> so game companies are flipping out. All, all Procter & Gamble's for all companies that have Because this a will trademark, set a precedent that... You can undo everything. Right. Like your game their, is not your game. Yeah, your game is not your game. Even if you think it is. You can literally undo everything. Right. Because it's all fucking bullshit. Right. Right? If yeah. you can go buy up everything, what does it fucking mean? Yeah. Um, so the Supreme Court passes. Okay. He won. Great. He could make anti-monopoly game, the game again. And the story of the origin of monopoly has now been told in court. You should make a game about the theft of monopoly. hundred percent. Had Ralph not taken on Parker brothers to fight for his anti-monopoly case, had he not fought for six years, the truth of Elizabeth would have died. Right. Elizabeth McGee would have never been heard of. She right. would have just gone into obscurity like Parker Brothers wanted. Yeah. Um, no one would have ever known her name. Uh, Elizabeth died in relative obscurity in 1948. I couldn't even find an obituary. Wow. Her name was Elizabeth Phillips at that point, but you couldn't find anything. One of Elizabeth's last jobs had been at the U.S. Office of Education. She was a typist who talked to her coworkers a lot about how she had invented games. She also said she had... She taught a Georgism class out of her home. But the Georgian, the George movement's gone at that yeah. point. She watched The Love of a Monopoly, the game she invented, oh, she to show how crazy. evil capitalism was, go completely global uh. and be the best-selling game. And there's no mention of what she created on her grave to this day. Oh, my God. So oh, she, God. What a great story about how the system will fuck you. Yeah, so it's a book... Uh, Jesus, that's God. really great. That's called uh, "The Monopolist" by Mary Pilon. Can we? Are, who are the Parker brothers be. are left? Can we go curb them? <laughs> I mean, it's still. I believe it's still family uh, owned and stuff. Um, I don't think that's ever stopped. I don't think it's ever gone public. But uh, yeah, that's fucking bullshit. All right. Anyway, well, everybody wins. Everybody wins, especially two shit heel brothers. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> A pleasure. Yeah. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. after it. Let's see you there. 
Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 